Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you so much for being here. Yes, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Already feel the Spirit of God. Man, you just never know what to expect, do you? Before we go too far, I want to celebrate something this morning. We're in a marriage around here in long-lasting marriages. Amen? Amen. Our lead elder, Randy and Mary, yesterday celebrated their 40th anniversary. 40 years. Yes. We don't have a trophy for Mary, but she probably deserves one. But uh, we will congratulate her. You made it. All right. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23. Now, we're going to study something this morning and discuss it, but I want to make sure that we understand the catapult or the platform that we're going to launch into this verse. So many times I've heard this ver- uh, these verses being preached, and it should be preached very serious, and I think that's important. But it's not from the stance that God hates us. Everything that God does is truth and love. Amen? So these are warnings. These are things that we need in our life that will not only warn us, but at the same time encourage us, that will bring people into the faith, but the ones who are here for us, as we believe that we're going to be encouraged because we see some markers in our life. But nonetheless, we should heed to the words. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, Christ is teaching. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, if you're a Christian, that has struck fear in your heart multiple times because it's about a heart decision. I don't just do the things of God. I love God, and the reason why I do the things of God is because I love God. And that's what he's wanting us to understand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts this morning as we are encouraged by your word. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, everyone says? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and wave hi to your neighbor. Thank you for whatever device you're streaming by. We appreciate that. I was told in that first service I kind of sounded like an auctioneer, so I need to settle down a little bit. So I'm going to settle down. But here we see something that's very important in Scripture. We understand that we have to look past ourselves to really get the full view and really walk in what God has called us to walk into. The year is 1912. There's a major war raging that very few people know about. It's the Biscuit War. It's the War of the Biscuits or the Battle of the Biscuits. Two name brands in America are really fighting for position for an iconic symbol in America. In 1908, the Hydrox, does anybody remember the Hydrox cookie? Show of hands, the Hydrox cookie. If you were born before 2008, you don't have any idea what we're talking about because that was the last year that it was packaged. I think it's kind of came back, but the Hydrox cookie was invented. This sandwich, and our whole culture revolves around that, right? Every three and four-year-old's world revolves around that one word, and even my world, cookie, you know? It revolves around. It's what makes the world goes around. So they had the Hydrox chocolate cookie. That was Sunshine Bakery, the Loose Brothers. They were in a battle because up to this point, all they had organized, them and the National Biscuit Company, which we know as Nobisco. Nobisco, ding! 
You guys remember that slogan? Yeah, it's a great slogan. We still remember it today. So you have the National Biscuit Company or Nobisco, and then you have the Sunshine Bakery loaned by the, the Loose Brothers is who's running that. On this other side, Adolphus Green is, is running the National um, Biscuit Company. And in 1908, both companies are going hot and heavy, and they decide that we just can't make more crackers. The world doesn't need more saltines. What we need to do is something different. So they create the Hydrox. The Hydrox is the chocolate cookie sandwiched in the middle with a vanilla icing. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And it hits the world $12 million worth of income, just boom, all of a sudden. So back in 1908, that's more like over $100 million. I mean, it's, it's nuts. I think a dollar today is worth, a dollar 1908 is worth what $31 is today. So, 30, so $12 million, I mean, it just flies off the shelf. They're going coast to coast. They figured out how to do packaging and keep things fresh and all this other stuff. And then four years later, Adolphus Green and the National Biscuit Company is thinking we've got to do something to compete and they do some things in their life that that make them last forever that makes it iconic the oreo won't be around forever they'd be cool if they were in heaven i could handle an oreo in heaven they're pretty good you know but maybe maybe not but as we talk about building to last how do we build our lives that it will last not just for a decade not just for a century that our great great grandchildren will know that jesus christ is king and then ultimately building for eternity and as i was looking into the story it struck me because one company lasted the hydrox lasted from 1908 to 2008 and then they went out of business then four years later the oreo is invented Thank God for that. The Oreo is invented. And here Adolphus Green does something that Hydrox really didn't do. It wasn't that both of them weren't innovative or creative, but if you really study the story, you see that Adolphus Green incorporated some things in his life. A, he understood the, na the, the nature of competition, that if I'm going to stay alive, i got to be doing something. That's a good theology for any Christian, because we're not always growing. We're not made to be stagnant. We're made to go forward. So he knew that. So he knew he had to go forward. He tried out several different things. Then all of a sudden, he knew he had to create a sandwich cookie. So he did something else at the time that was unthought of. He began to take his and join forces with a guy named Milton Hershey. Now, Hershey Company, we know about that. You guys ever bit into the Oreo and tasted the fudginess? I did that last night. I just had to do some research for my story today. So I had a chocolate, <laughs> I had a chocolate Oreo last night, and I thought, yep, they've been fudgy like the other 10,000 that I've eaten. Yep, sure enough. So, uh, but but he, he joined forces with Milton Hershey, and what he found out is he had to look outside himself. Hydrox just well, kind of looked within inside themselves, in my opinion. They had their cocoa suppliers and their sugar, and they just did it. But they knew they had to do something greater, and they had to look out, so he begins to join forces. And then the the third thing that he did is he really pushed for a big ad campaign. We're going to advertise. So millions and millions of dollars went into advertising the Oreo. When it hit the market, it outsold the Hydrox crazily. And if you would ask anybody today, what was the first cookie ever invented? Many people would say it would be the Oreo, but the Oreo didn't come first. It just lasted the longest. And in our life, that's what God is trying to do. He wants us to last how we build our families, how we build our children, how we build our businesses. This is not just for today type stuff. God wants it to go beyond that. And he wants to be right in the mix. So as we grow, as our business grows, as those things grow, the main focus is Christ and his reign supremely grows. Can I get an amen? 
but he did some things that were right. Just like you and I, we have to look outside of ourselves. We can't do this thing. If we're going to build to last, then we know we go back to Christ and say, it's only through you that I have to build my family. It's only through you that I build myself. It's only through you that I build my business. And then the advertising campaign is just amazing to me. You know, I, I read something online that um, that old saying, liar, liar, pants on fire. Everybody knows that saying. We're thinking about how much funnier America newsrooms would be if that statement was really true. <laughs> Their ratings would go through the roof. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. We're just watching it to see that, right? What'd they say? I don't know, but three of them ran out screaming, and it was hilarious, you know? But they did this huge advertising deal. Well, that's what they warned is they weren't ashamed of what they had. So you and I take our stance that we're not ashamed of what we have. But what, what they came to is this understanding that there had to be more, that we had to build without. And if we're going to build things that last over a month, that last over a year, that last over a decade, that go past the century, that outlive us, then we know we build with Christ. We have to look out and we do it unashamedly. And here as Christ is teaching that, that's really what he's teaching. And it's something that should encourage us and inspire us. That he would, he, he would warn us that many, many on that day will say, Lord, haven't I done this and haven't I done that? And I've been with you here and I've, I've done these things with you. And yet he will say, it's so obviously clear in the Bible that many will say that, but my answer to them will be, depart from me for I never knew you. And it's a warning to us all. But at the same time, it should strike fear in our heart. It should bring great encouragement that we've got such a good, good God that he won't withhold from us the truth because of truth and love. So we look at this scripture from understanding that if Christ is truth and love, which there's no if, he is truth and love, then everything he said, everything he teach, everything that he does is from that. So we can all take a deep breath because God's not setting us up for hell. Okay, He's setting us up for success. We just got to do it his way. And remember, this is the good news. I preached a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to my wife, and she goes, Matt, as you preach, and, and remember to smile. Remember, Matt, it's the good news. Okay, It's worth smiling about when you're back up there. And I'm thinking, sometimes as a preacher, we're like, you know, people leave worse than they, they came, and we don't want that. Okay, It is the good news of our glorious Jesus. So as we read this, we know that this is good news, that it's not based off of opinions or emotions those things I don't build upon but I build upon Christ and we know that but what as we look in the scripture just just briefly what were some, we looking at what were some people doing that we don't want to be like that we say okay these are things here in a second we'll talk about what we need to do but just some quick things quick notes is as he was reading this as he was as he was uh, speaking this and we read it not everyone who says Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven what was he saying? He says, those people who look into themselves will not be able to enter the gates of heaven. We have to look past that and look into Christ. So in our life, we just look, God, are we looking to you? Or are we looking to ourselves? In any situation, because we know that sometimes we can get prideful and look into ourselves, can't we? But we push that to the side and say, no, I want to refocus. I want to put my, put my uh, attention back on you. But we, we read on, and we also understand that, um, that, that it's not only people who just want the benefits. Christ was saying, these people, they, they, they said, listen, didn't we do signs? Didn't we do wonders? Didn't we use that power in your name? And he, he didn't deny it. 
He said that many people on that day will say, haven't I done this and haven't I done that? Now, there's really two different people he's talking about. Hey, we believe that you can really walk away from the faith. It's hard for your name to be blotted in the Lamb's Book of Life and blotted out if it's not already in there. Okay, we know from Revelation that you can walk away from your first love. We know those type of things. But it's also teaching us about some people who are intentionally teaching false things, who are doing it for nothing more than the power, so that they can stand behind the pulpit, they can stand in their situation and gain an enterprise all around them. You guys know some preachers like that? We all do. That's very, very scary. And God warns us about those. And in the day and age that we live in, those, that is becoming greater and greater and greater, isn't it? about building yourself and looking into yourself, and then we're going to throw some scriptures in there. But Christ wasn't saying that. He lets us know that those people, they can't in inherit the kingdom of God. And then finally, think about it. These people say, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? They're only borrowing the name of Christ. They don't live in the name of Christ. That it's Christ in us. That I have the authority because I'm founded in Christ. I'm not going to borrow anything. These people just wanted to borrow. He's telling us the people who just borrow the name of Christ. And we need to be on alert. And we need to be aware. And we need to ask ourselves that. God, am I just trying to get out of a situation? Or do I want your true deliverance? Do I want your true testimony in my life? Do I really truly want to speak as if you're my God? Because at the end of this, what is it about? It's about true lordship, giving Christ true lordship over our life. And when we read scriptures like this, it should well up with inside of us. It should cause us to ask ourselves, is it a decision that I made because I love Christ or is this just something I do to make me feel better? Yeah, and make, we all want to feel better. But the ones who did it just to feel better and get out of the situation or kind of groove and move in some of the power of God, on that day I will say, depart from me. So we ask ourselves and we encourage ourselves, what do we do? Now, there's some markers that we see. Now, it's very important that we, we, we in the next scripture right after he tells this story in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about building your house upon the sand. And you got to love it. Because once again, he doesn't withhold anything. He doesn't hide anything. He tells this story. He, he explains this. Then he goes, but to the one who builds his house upon the rock, to him it, he is wise. And he goes even further and explains it. He says, if you do what I say, you're wise. <laughs> if you don't, you're not. And that's interesting to me because the Bible also teaches us that wise men winneth souls. So we know that if we build our house, our life on Christ and the wisdom of him, and we're winning souls and we're where we need to be with Christ. But what I want to look to to find some markers is from our friend Paul. If you turn in your Bibles to chapter uh, one or chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at verses, uh, 50, in verse 58. Now, I understand that, that men put um, chapters in the Bible and the verses and the numbers and things like that. I understand that the Bible didn't originally come from that. But it's interesting to me that when he starts this section... He ends this section the very same way. And so my question was, God, how do I answer that day that I could stand before you instead of hearing, depart from me from I never, I never knew you. Instead, the ones that we all long to hear enter into heaven and into your eternal world. Or well done, thou good and faithful servant. You may enter into the kingdom of heaven, which we all want to make sure we have in our hearts. And if you don't, you can correct that this morning, and we invite you to make Christ Lord of your life. Can I get an amen? 
Yeah, all these people that you've heard say amen, I know you're amen, and on the other side, uh, I'm telling you, we, we really mean that. So Paul is writing, now this, the reason why I'm looking to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and verse 58, is because this is an extensive chapter on the resurrection. It is an extensive chapter on the, on the good news. Outside of the Gospels, this would be the next place that you would look, because Paul really just takes it and fleshes it out in this whole chapter. I invite you to go back and read it. And he talks to them about the foundation of their faith and what they believe in. And he talks about the resurrection and Christ giving his life. And he's saying, listen, people are coming in and saying that the resurrection is not real. And he talks to them, he says, listen, if the resurrection is not real, then Christ becomes like any other God. The point is we serve Christ because we know he has all authority and all power resides within him. And Paul is clearing that up. And I'm sure just like you, amen, there's some other people reading this letter saying amen. Because there were some people coming in trying to take control, and Paul said, let me set the record straight. So as I look into this, I'm thinking, okay, if Paul wrote this, let's get our answers from Scripture, okay? So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. So you see that where he says, unless you believe in vain. So we don't want to do things just to do them where they won't last, but we're doing things to last, and we know that we have to do that by holding on to the Word of God. Then he ends this same section, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And once again, I know that everybody in the room, hopefully we desire to say that day that, Lord, Lord, we did this, and he looks at us and he says, come into your eternal reward. And Paul is reminding them, this is how you do that. You've had some people come in, and you've had some people preach some crazy stuff, but it's not what I preach to you. It's not the Word of God. And we try very, very hard from this pulpit, from our Sunday schools up and down the hall, that we preach one thing and one thing only, and that is the Word of God. It is in its completeness completeness it is what we are looking for we keep Christ the center and then we know we build our life around that and Paul is coming back to this and saying okay this is how we do it so as I look at those scripture I see some things that really jump out at me if we're going to be those people that build to last that we're building to last over a year over a decade over a century that our great grandkids might know Jesus Christ if he so desires not to come back until then then how do we do that well the first thing that we see Paul is writing is that we have to have a clear line of sight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. You see how he brings it back? He says, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. He gives them a clear line of sight. I'm not bringing you back for could tell me how you became a better person. I'm not bringing you back to tell me some of the problems or complaints or troubles. I don't care about your successes, although God wants us to be successful. What he says instead is, I'm bringing you back. I want to remind you of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Paul preach to them. He has a clear line of sight, and if you and I are going to continue to build, we make sure that we have a clear line of sight. I was reading some physics article, and this is what it says about sight. Without light, there would be no sight. Without light, there would be no sight. So I look at an object, the light bounces off that object, comes back into my eye, and that's how I know what that object is. Very much, remember, we learn from the physical, and we implement it in the spiritual too. 
I need the light of Jesus Christ, the true light in my life. That way when I look at a situation, I look at a person, I need to look through the, whole, the, the lens of the Holy Spirit. That way when it resonates in my heart, I can see. I can see the object. I know what's going on. Does that make sense? Without the true light, I can't really truly see. So I keep that clear line of sight that I have to, we know this, but we have to focus in on Christ. And we know that when we look through his lens, that what we're looking at will give us um, the, the ability to see further and deeper into it. In Matthew chapter 27, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23, what we just read, very familiar teachings in Luke chapter 6 and Luke chapter 13. Now, both of these are very familiar teachings to what we've just read. One is about the narrow way, okay, knowing that Christ is the narrow way, but wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And then he also talks in Luke chapter 13 again, or excuse me, in, in Luke chapter 6, it's building on the rock, okay? And he says, do what I say. Then Luke chapter 13, narrow is the way. And at the very end of that teaching, he, they, he says this. He says, this is what people will say. Did we not eat and drink with you, and did you not teach in our streets? And that struck me as funny. Because here are the great teachers of Israel that's going to look at Christ one day and say, did you not eat and drink and teach in our streets? You see the blindness of that? You see how they're walking around spiritually blind? Because they think they possess it. But who do we know possesses it? It's God who possesses it. But this was already written in Isaiah, John chapter 12, verse 40, uh, um, um, talks, talks to Isaiah, excuse me, quotes Isaiah. And this is John chapter 12, verse 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, I would heal them. So it shows us that they're looking with the wrong thing, okay? Their line of sight is covered up by maybe prestige and power and all these things that can creep in. And if there's one thing I know, the enemy, the world is constantly trying to throw things in your line of sight to get you off kilter, to take your focus off. And here he's talking to men who have that issue. And, and, and this is what it says in Psalms chapter in Psalms chapter 24, verse 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now it's interesting to me that that scripture teaches us everything in the world is possessed by God. That way you ask, am I stepping, am I treading on God's ground? Yes. Okay, it's the victory has been won through the cross of Calvary, but it's our position to enforce that victory. Okay? Officers do not make the laws. Do not, mad at, do not be mad at them because they gave you a ticket. They didn't make the law. Their job is to enforce the law. Okay? We don't make the laws. We do what the Word of God says through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. He has brought us the victory, and now we enforce it. That means we remove the blinders and move these things that so easily get in our line of sight. I love what the Bible says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. One of my favorite things to teach in youth because it's, it's an easy lie to get into is, I didn't know that was sin. I didn't know that was wrong. You had every bad feeling in the world before you did what you did, but you didn't think it was wrong. Right? And we all fall in that even as adults. But here as Christians, we see that God is trying to give us a clear line of sight. And he's trying to say, listen, through Paul, that you know that sin is evident. The works of the flesh are evident. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Once again, 
Christ helps us with a clear line of sight. And it's something that you and I must strive for and must strive in our life for. Now, what's the life application? We know the spiritual side of this, that we keep that clear line of sight for Jesus Christ. Because, listen, priorities can get changed around and moved around, and we can leave Christ on the back burner, and we don't need to leave him there. We need to make sure that he's front and center. But what Christ has called us into Okay, what Christ has called us into, that needs to be front and center. That needs to be a clear line of vision. What God has called you to accomplish in your business, in your family, and if you know that God has spoken to you about it, don't let anybody derail you or push, push you away. What are some things that can do that? Well, we know complaining's a big one, right? If we complain, that easily disrail, derails us. If we, if we start lacking faith or lacking hope, okay, that can derail us. So there's several things that can get in that side of what God God has called us to do that we must keep out and at all costs we keep a clear line of sight in the olympics they have a target this target is four foot wide okay or four foot circular in diameter they have a four inch hole in the circle that you get the 10 the only the only the hardest part about this is that the archers that shoot are from 76 yards away 70 meters. Now, this morning, I walked from that door to this door, and from that door to this door is about 25 yards. So imagine three times longer than this middle aisle. They're sitting down at one end, and the pressure's on, and they take an arrow that probably hit in a quarter of an inch in diameter, right? And they shoot it through the air, and they've done it so much that they have to hit that bullseye. They have to make sure that they have to keep a clear line of concentration, a clear line of what they're called to do. If people walk in, if, if they're so concentrated, okay, they're so focused on what's at stake and hitting that bullseye. One guy that I was talking to said this, that you have to make sure you keep everybody away because if somebody walks in my line of sight, I won't hardly know because I'm so concentrated on hitting that bullseye. So if I'm going to do this, you've got to keep everybody away. A clear line of vision is so important that we force everything out and say, God, what have you asked me to do in my life? What have you asked me to accomplish? And that is the clear line of sight because people will want to try to talk you out of it. You'll try to talk yourself out of it. The enemy of our souls don't want us to be successful and doesn't want us to accomplish things in the name of Christ. So what we do is we fight for that clear line of sight. Just like Paul went back, man, he's in a fight. He says, listen, you remember what I preach. Let me draw you back. You remember what I preach. You look at it. It's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's our main thing. But what God has called you, if you're working hard in your marriage, do not be listening to your girlfriends and your guy friends. Listen to what the Bible says to do and God. Okay, If you're working on your marriage, you don't need to listen to those guys unless they're trying to edify you and build you up. All right, If you're trying to establish a business or a relationship and you know that God has laid on your heart, it matters what God has said, not what everybody else says. So I force all those out. Well, I don't think I can do it. Well, that's a great place to be because God wants to work through people that don't think they can do it because whenever they accomplish it, they know that it's Him. So we make that clear line of sight and we say, God, whatever you're causing me to do, I'm going to take such a focus, such an intensity, I'm going to make sure it's clear. And we have to have the Holy Spirit to look through. One of my favorite stories, I was out with my friend Keith, and we, he has several thousand acres that he was out on. And have you guys ever used those, those night vision scopes on a gun? So he has this scope, and all the guys go, oh, oh, yeah, 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 right? The scope is mounted on the gun. It's pitch dark outside. 
And you know, it's not like a regular scope. You've got to push all these buttons, and it lights up, and I look through it, and all of a sudden, I can see what's moving around. I can see if it's pigs. I can see if it's deer. I can see if it's cows. And it's amazing because I have the right technology to look through and see what's out there. And this is what I found out, that if there was a pond dam or a tree, it didn't matter how great that scope was. It was hard to look through those things. But the things that were out in the tall weeds, that the, 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 um, that the objects were out of the way, and I had a clear line aside, I could look through it and see it. And that's the reason why we need the Holy Spirit to be so vibrant in our life. It's like looking through that scope. You feel like, man, I'm in pitch dark. You don't know how hard it is. That's the reason why we have the Holy Spirit in our life. We have God working in our life. And we let our hearts be open to what He wants to say, what God wants to say through His Spirit. Amen? And then it's like looking through that, 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 that deal. We got, we got some high awesome technology that we've never held. It was really, really cool. I had a great moment there. It was really good. Okay, as we continue here, we, wanted, we, wanted, we see that Paul tells us something else. Plant ourselves and stay. Now, in the culture that we live in today, this is not, I don't know, I hope I don't get any bad emails, okay? But plant ourselves and stay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. In which you stand. Remember, Paul's writing and he says, listen, the gospel in which you stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. He ends it the same way. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. In the King James and in the a New King James, it talks about these two words as immovable and unmovable. But either way, a quick word search in the Strong's Concordance, okay, would lead us to believe that these words, when you stand, it means to settle in. It means to abide. It means to make your home in it, okay? So what is Paul saying? Listen, you've had some outside things that's clogged up your line of sight. What you need to do is push those out, and as I write to you the Word of God, you just make your home. You nestle in and get extremely comfortable and become firm in what it is. Around here we understand we understand droughts. You take the red clay, we know that if it's wet, that's when you dig in the red clay, don't you? Right now it's incredibly possible. But what happens if you put that post and you put it in the red clay here in just a month or two without rain, it's like putting it in concrete, isn't it? It's settled in, okay? That's what Paul is saying right here. Settle in. I was helping one of my pastors back in the day when I was in high school, helping him build a house. It was the first time I'd ever built a house, and we're building a garage. And he takes all this dirt, and he levels it over the garage, and we have it out there. And, and it won't rain, won't rain, won't rain. So he decides what we're going to do is put a yard sprinkler on it. So he puts a yard sprinkler on it. And I asked him, why in the world are we doing this? He says it's to get that dirt to settle in and to compact. That way when we pour the slab for it, it will become like one unit. But until that dirt settles in, there's really not a whole lot we can do with it. So we put a sprinkler on it, and sure enough, that dirt settled down. Now this is the interesting takeaway from that. Nothing settles in dirt like the rain from God, Okay. There's a lot of things in our life that will help us to settle in, but the thing that we need to cling to more closely than anything is God, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you help this stuff settle in my life. All these things out there are good, and they're to encourage us and to help us with books and so forth, but God, I go back to your word and let that settle in to me. Now, if you're new in our church, we want to say welcome, and we want to say we love you, and we've had a large influx of people in the last couple of months. If you really want to grow, help settle in. We serve donuts and coffee, and you can show up 5 or 10 or 15 minutes early for church, get to know some people. We have Sunday school up and down this hall for adults. We have children down that hall, and we have a youth Sunday school, and that's part of it. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. If you want to be strong, if you want to do the things that God's called you to do, find a place and settle in. Make yourself at home, and that's when you become the greatest that you can be. 
He goes on and he says something else that really encourages me. It's the last part of that where he says stay. So we see that it's, it's where we stand firm. It's where we abide. It's where we stay. It's where we stay. And we have to accept the rules. It's not going to be perfect. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect situation. But I still stay. I took a, a Spanish class in college several years ago. So I was in college probably 10, 10 years ago or so. And I took a Spanish class. And I took it with the wrong attitude. I took it as though I needed them to speak English, but it was Spanish. All right? So I went in there and I fought this guy. And this Spanish teacher was a great teacher. He knew his stuff. I fought him tooth and nail. Every time he would show me something I knew, you know what I'd say? I'd say, well, that's not the way we do it in America. <laughs> and he goes, well, we're not talking about English. We're talking about Spanish. And I fought him and fought him on accident. I was trying to create these two worlds and make sense. And, you know, I barely passed the class. And then you know what I walked out with? Almost nothing. And it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Because I wasn't willing to go in there and say, okay, now how does the Spanish speakers do it? Teach me that. I want my mind to be open to that. Instead, I was fighting and pushing back and fighting. And this is not what I'm used to and da-da-da. Whenever we come into the kingdom of God, we get that clear line of sight. We make ourselves comfortable, and then we choose to stay. How does this happen? How does this go? I wonder in the spiritual world, just as I walked away from the, the Spanish class not learning as much as I could, I wonder how many times God has tried to reveal things to me in my life, but because I fought him tooth and nail, because it wasn't what I had experienced before, or I didn't show up like I thought it would, I wonder how many things I left on the table as far as his blessings, instead of just doing it the way that he asked me to do it. And I would have walked away so much smarter, so much more encouraged. And even, we talk about Spanish and English, even a better way to communicate. So I'll walk away from the things of God. So if you're new, help us out. Settle in. Come stay for a while. It's like a greenhouse around here. You plug in, I'm telling you, you will grow. God will speak to you and you'll be stronger for it. All right, here we go. Paul, finally here, he, he lets us know. He goes, listen, you got to fully give ourselves, okay? So we got to fully give ourselves. And thank you so much because I preach this message from two standpoints. From the one, if you're new to this and you don't know what to do, we want to help you get there. But I don't want to act like everybody's not doing what they're doing. Thank you guys so much. There's so many of you in here that's hung with the church 10, 15, 20, 30 years. You just got saved and you're learning how to do it. You keep coming back Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday. Thank you for doing that. That's, that's a true mark of those that will stand before God and he will say, well done thou good and faithful servant. And here he's saying, listen, we have to fully give ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Hold fast to the word I preach to you. 1 Corinthians, he ends it, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. The true marks of those who will stand before God on that day and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is the ones who fully give themselves to the work of the Lord who fully hold fast to the word of God and say, despite what I think or despite the outcome or what I think should be the outcome, I'm going to hold fast to your word. Being a coach in public school and being involved in many activities, you know the one, the kiddos that I saw really soar to the top of their activity, whether it be band, whether it be football or name the sport or whatever it would be, are those ones who fully gave themselves to that. They didn't have excuses for missing practice. They didn't have excuses for not being there. When you needed them, they were there. They were there when it wasn't fun. They, weren't, they didn't wait till two days was over, then all of a sudden decide to join the team. 
And, and here we see this, that it's people who fully give themselves. Thank you guys for fully giving yourself to the gospel of Christ. And we see it. It's through the teaching. It's through the loving of our kids and the loving of our teenagers. It's through the giving. I want to encourage you. I want you to be encouraged this morning that you can stand before God knowing that your faith is in Christ and you've done everything that you could do. And for the ones who are thinking, man, how do I do this? The first step is always fully giving yourself to Christ. It's opening up your heart and saying, God, would you come into my heart and come into my life? I want to have a true lordship of my life, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And it's scary at first because of past experiences, past situations, we've been hurt. You've given yourself fully to a man or woman, and they've hurt you. You've given yourself fully to a friend, and they've just hurt you. You've given yourself fully to maybe your career, and you thought, man, there's, there's no way that I'm not going to excel. There's, I'm putting everything that I have into this company or to whatever, and then it's hurt you. And you have that bruise. You have that wound. And you're like, can I really give myself fully to the gospel of Christ? And the answer is yes, because we know that Christ won't leave us or forsake us, and he'll be there. He'll be there to help us and to teach us. But it is a true marker of a Christian to say, I've fully given myself to the rules and regulations. I'm not going to fight. And I say rules and regulations. We know the grace and understanding the word of God, and we're here to help you do that. And I don't know where you sit at. I don't know your situation, but I want you to know that God does. And please, like some of the best advice that I ever got was three years ago as I sat at a table at Rib Crib with Pastor Mike and one of his friends. He said, Matt, he said, what you cannot do is view this experience through the lens of your past experiences. I was just sharing my heart about some things that had happened, and he looks at me right in the eye, and he says, Matt, what you cannot do is view this experience that you're going through right now through all the experiences of your past. That's who you were and what you did. Let God do something new in your life here. And whenever we fully give ourselves to God, that's what happens. Something new happens in our life. And he accepts us as we are, where we are. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for just loving us, God. And as we feel your presence in this room, that's really our cry this morning, God. As we read this text out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, we know that it can be scary. We know that it causes us to challenge ourselves and make sure that the change in our life is a heart issue. That, God, we give our heart and our life to you. None of us on that day, whenever we stand before you, want to hear those words, depart from me. We want to go through the pearly gates into our great reward that you have given us that's only through Jesus Christ. So as our hearts are bowed in this moment, I know that even I check myself and say, God, I want to make sure that it's been a heart issue. But then I can walk in faith knowing that there are markers that Paul told that we know that we are Christians and we love you. But Father, for anybody in the congregation or on the other side of the camera this morning, if they're doubting that this morning they would get it cleared up before you, surrender their heart and their life, repent of sin, whatever they need to do, and then cling to your word and say, I know that I'm walking in your direction. For the man or woman who are out there who are struggling with this decision, so many things influence how they feel, what they're going through. That in this moment of prayer, that all of that would be wiped away and they would be overcome with your love. They would be overcome with how much you care for them. Father, as you do something in the hearts and the lives 
of your people, as you do something in the hearts of the lives of those who are longing for truth and love. We just pray that anything that would be in their line of sight would be taken out. Father, they would have laser focus right now on you. If you're not a Christian and you sit in the building or you're listening by whatever device, we want you to know that we're here for you. And remember, according to Scripture, it's not just enough to know God. It's not just enough to declare that He will lord over our life in love and grace, but we have to make that decision and say, Christ, you are the Lord of my life. And we don't know where you stand, but we want to give you that opportunity. Saying, Christ, come into my life and change it. For those past experiences, I won't look through those lenses. Those letdowns and those heartbreaks, I won't look through the lens of that. But Christ, I'm going to take you for what you said you are, and you are good. So Father, our hearts are bowed to you in this moment. For anyone who's unsaved in the room, however you're listening, that you would come before Christ and say, I give you my heart and I give you my life. True Lordship. And then you trust. And then you walk in what He's called you to and you fully give yourself to Him. And Father, for the one who's praying that prayer, who's making those heartfelt words, that declaration to you, God, we just want to encourage them and strengthen them and we're warring with them in the Spirit right now. So Father, our hearts are pointed towards you as you work on their lives. And they make that decision this morning. And if you're in here and you've made that decision, you're very important. And we want you to know that we're here for you. We want to visit with you and talk with you. We want to be able to teach you the ways of God. But as a child of God, some of these same things that we struggle with. And maybe this morning you're like, I'm through with the struggle. Today I know the markers. I know what God has spoken into my life and that's what I choose to believe. Maybe some things have got in your line of sight and you know you need to push them out. Maybe it's hurt or unforgiveness. Things that maybe you've just allowed into your life. We've all been there. Maybe you're here this morning and said, you know what, man, I've kind of been doing some church hopping, not really checking things out, but, you know, I know that I need to get planted somewhere and I know God's trying to do something with my life. Let this be the morning that that happens. Some of you have been kind of doing that maybe with devotion life or prayer life. This morning, say, I'm going to plant myself in the Word. I'm going to plant myself in prayer and see what God won't do. And then the hurt of fully giving yourself, God will not let you down. You can trust Him. Would you stand with me all over the building? I'm going to ask my prayer workers to come down, and they're going to stand at the front here. And what I want you to do is I want to invite you down. Maybe you've had a rough time in one of these areas, and you need a little bit of prayer. And as they move down, I ask that you come on down, grab somebody's hand, and just let them pray with you. We want to give you that opportunity right now. Would you bow with me all over the congregation here? And if you want to move, we want you to know that we're waiting on you. This is your moment. We're here to help you and couple with you in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. And we just take an extra moment that if anybody would slip out of their seats, that we're available to pray with them. 
If anybody made that declaration of salvation that they have it today, God, that we're here. Father, thank you for what you've accomplished in the building. Thank you for your word, God. We know that it never returns void and we can trust it. Father, thank you that we don't have to be scared of Scripture. We don't have to be fearful because we're in you. So thank you for the warning. Thank you for the leading and thank you for the guiding. Father, our hearts are pointed towards you in this moment. And we say thank you for what you're accomplishing. Thank you for what you're accomplishing at the altar. Thank you for what you're accomplishing in the seats. If you feel comfortable, go ahead and grab your neighbor's hand. Let's pray for our neighbors as we pray for ourselves. Father, as we dismiss this morning, we just pray for our neighbor, God. You know what their situation is. You know what they're going through. Give them strength. Give them encouragement. Touch their body, God. You know what they need. So you just be God in their situation, and we're going to trust you for it. Father, as we go out into the world, God, let us be your light. Let us know that we can go out with our heads held up high, a spirit, God, of confidence, knowing that we're your children, trying to get as many people to heaven, Father, through your grace and through your mercy as we're your light. Father, shine through us. We do it with excitement. We do it with courage. And we thank you that you love us so much. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, everyone says, Amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And hope changes everything.